you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 11 today. I don't know how many, how many of you here really enjoy movies? Like you're just like a movie buff. I had a friend in college and we were roommates and this guy had to have 500 movies in our dorm room. It was unbelievable. He would go uh, bin diving at Walmart. You know when Walmart has like sometimes DVDs for sale for a dollar and Josh would get in there and like, Josh, you don't even like you know, whoever that, the actor is. You don't even like this. Well, it's a dollar. I need it. No, you don't need it. And he had tons of DVDs, you know, and now today we're provided we're provide with all kinds of streaming services with Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime, and we, we love movies. Well, what, what do we love about movies as people? We enjoy a good story, don't we? We enjoy a good story. Maybe you're not into movies, but you're into literature, and, and you enjoy a good story. Well, over the past six months, we as a faith family, we've been walking through the Gospel of John. And we've seen it's kind of like riding a roller coaster. There's high moments, low moments, twists and turns, just like a movie script would be. Here in John chapter 11, this is the climax Remember, Jesus is doing signs here in the Gospel of John to prove who he was, to show that he was God in the flesh. Well, like never before of any of the signs, any of the miracles that we have seen of Jesus, like never before Jesus is going to show who he really is and what he's come to do. Now, obviously, we know the story. We know that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be resurrected, and we'll get to that in the weeks ahead. But right now, this is going to be the highest point of the Gospel of John. And throughout this book, we've seen Jesus do these signs and miracles. We saw in John chapter 2, at the wedding, wedding in Cana, what did Jesus do? He turned the water into wine. In chapter 4, he healed the sick. In chapters 4 and 5, he healed the sick. In chapter 6, Jesus fed over 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. In chapter 6, he walked on the water. A few weeks ago in chapter 9, we saw he healed a man that was blind from birth. So many scholars and theologians call this book, the Gospel of John, the book of signs, the book of miracles. Well, this morning we're going to see the seventh and final sign that is recorded here in the Gospel of John. This sign is like no other that's recorded in John or, quite frankly, the rest of the Gospels. This sign, Jesus has gone from turning water into wine. Now this sign, this miracle, is going to take it to a whole nother level. The stakes are going to be ever higher So as we go through this passage, oftentimes we can read the Bible like a newspaper, right? The Bible can at times read like a newspaper. It kind of tells us what happened, how it happened, who was there. But in this passage, as we read it, as we walk through it together here in John 11, we want to read this like a movie script. We want to think of what the sounds were. What did it look like? What did it smell like? What was the human emotion in this narrative of John chapter 11? Now, 
John chapter 11 is a long chapter. We're not going to go verse by verse through that, but just so we through it, but just so we know what's going on. In verse 1, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, he tells us that there was a man named Lazarus. And he had two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, Jesus was close friends with these people. The Bible is clear that, that Jesus, he loves this family. We don't know anything about their parents, but the brother, Lazarus, and the two sisters, Mary and Martha, the Bible is very clear that Jesus loves this family. He's very close friends with them. In fact, Mary is the one who wets Jesus' feet with her tears and washes his feet with her hair. So there's much devotion here with this family. Jesus loved this family, and they loved him. And because this Jewish society was cl very close-knit, it's very possible that Jesus and his brothers and sisters grew up with Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. They've probably known each other for a really long time. They're really connected with one another. They're very, very close. Well, what we've seen in the previous chapters, back in Jerusalem, people were trying to kill Jesus. Remember last week we saw that Jesus had been making claims about who he was, and they were going to pick up rocks and stone him, so they left Jerusalem. And him and his disciples, they leave Jerusalem, and they go out into the countryside, and they're doing ministry. Jesus in the countryside, he's preaching, he's healing. There's all kinds of things in his ministry going on in the countryside. Well, Lazarus gets sick. The brother gets sick. He's really sick. It's not like he just has the cold. He is really sick. To the point that he was on his deathbed. So Mary and Martha send a runner, a messenger, to go tell Jesus that Lazarus, he's really, really sick and about to die. Well, look at verse 4 of John 11. It says that when Jesus heard it, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. But it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now that's kind of an odd response when you learn that someone's on their deathbed, right? If someone's on their deathbed, that's probably not a thing that you're going to say. That's not, Mary Lane's a hospital chaplain. She's got the, the, uh, the spiritual gift of mercy. And so she's been in those situations. I've never heard Mary Lane say this in this situation, okay? It's something you don't say when someone's on their deathbed. But what Jesus was, was kind of giving a foretelling what was going to happen here. But Jesus decides to stay where he is to keep ministering for two more days. And after that, he tells his disciples, let's go to Bethany. Now, Bethany was, you can almost think of Bethany like a suburb of Jerusalem. Just two miles outside of Jerusalem, and it would have been an easy walk from Jerusalem to Bethany. So Bethany is kind of like a suburb of Jerusalem, and his disciples are like, whoa, 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 time out. We don't want to go into the greater Jerusalem metro area because they're trying to kill you there. Why are you going to go do that? And Jesus tells his disciples, he says, well, our friend Lazarus is sick, and I'm going to wake him up. And I love the disciples' response here. They just don't get it. What do they tell Jesus? You can see it there in John chapter 11. They said, well, if Jesus, uh, they tell Jesus, well, if he is sick, verse 12, you can look at it there. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will get well. What are the disciples saying? Well, if he's sick, if he's got a cold, what's the next best thing he could do? Sleep it off. 
right? So Jesus says, we're going to go to Bethany, and we're going to wake, Lazarus is sick, our friend, we're going to wake him up, and his disciples are like, well, he's sick, let's just let him sleep. And Jesus is like, look, guys, he's died. And I'm glad I wasn't there so that you will, will believe now what's going to happen to him. Well, now the light bulb pops off in these disciples' mind. Because even Thomas, anyone, if you've been in church at all, and if you haven't, that's okay. Thomas is the one that doubted that Jesus was even re- is resurrected. We're going to see that later. Thomas tells his fellow disciples, all right, he's going to go raise Lazarus from the dead just outside Jerusalem. I guess we'll go with him and die with him too. It, don't you just love Thomas? Just such a, 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 just a joyous person, right? I guess we're going to go die with him. That's what he says, verse 16. He says, we're going to go with him. Let's go with him so that we may die with him. So they think that Jesus is going to go back to Bethany and he's going to die. Now let's see what happens. Look at verse 17. This is where we pick this up in John 11. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, less than two miles away. Many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him But Mary remained seated in the house. Now this might seem odd, okay? Martha goes out to her and hears that Jesus was coming and goes out to meet him. But Mary doesn't. She stays in the house. Well, according to Jewish custom in the first century, if a family member died, you would go into 30 days of mourning, of grieving, in which you did nothing but sit in the house and mourn. So that's why Mary's not going out there. Mary is, she's going to stay in the house. She's going to mourn. She's going to grieve. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah the Son of God, who comes into the world. So Jesus arrives and finds that Lazarus had already been dead for four days. Now it's very important why John mentions that he's been dead for four days. Because there are some first century writings that the Jews believed that the spirit of the person who died, it might hover around, their spirit might hover around the body for a few days. So John mentions that Lazarus has been dead for four days. He mentions that so there's no superstition could muddy up the account of what Jesus was happening. What John is saying, he's saying, Lazarus is dead. He's dead, dead. His spirit's not hovering around the body. There's not the possibility that maybe he's just like passed out or in a coma or anything like that. No, he is dead, dead. So he says that to, to, it's like John the writer, he's saying there's no doubt about it, Lazarus is dead. 
Well, Martha runs out to meet him, and she kind of tries to pin some blame on Jesus, doesn't she? She said, if you would have been here, then he wouldn't have died. And Jesus just calmly, graciously, I don't know if I could have done it in that moment, like, listen, girl, I'm going to go raise your brother from the dead, just relax, right? What does he say? He says, no, your brother will rise again. And Martha, in verse 24, she says, I know that he will rise again on the last day. You see, the Jewish people at this time, many of them believed that at the end of the age, the end of the world, then all the dead would be resurrected. So she's basically saying, Jesus, I know that when the world comes to the end, at the end of the age, then the dead will be resurrected. She's having kind of a doctrinal theological discussion with Jesus. But then Jesus, in verse 25, gives another I am statement. He says, I am the resurrection. The resurrection doesn't come at the end of the age. I am the resurrection. I am the life. So Jesus is telling Martha, it's like Jesus saying, Martha, the resurrection and new life isn't some future event that's going to happen a long time from now that hasn't happened. Jesus is saying, the resurrection and the life, it's standing in front of you. I am the resurrection and the life. And if anyone believes in me, they will not die an eternal death. But when they die physically, they will live spiritually. And then he asks her a simple question, and Jesus always asks this question. Do you believe this? Do you believe me? And what was Martha's response? She says, yes. I believe, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, we're going to come back to this section here in just a minute where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. In just a few minutes, we're going to come back to this and see how that applies to us, not just to Martha somewhere on 2,000 years ago, but to today. But I want us to keep going through this passage and let's see what happens. Look at verse 28. Having said this, she went back and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. As soon as Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. The Jews who were with her in the house consoling her saw that Mary got up quickly and went out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to cry there. As soon as Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her crying, the Jews who had come with her crying, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, couldn't he who opened the blind man's eyes also have kept this man from dying? So here we see very real human emotion. Martha runs back ahead of Jesus, tells Mary that Jesus is here, wants to talk with her, wants to see her. She gets up. The Jews who were in these Jews here were people basically paid mourners. 
it was Jewish custom that you paid people to come cry at your funeral. Okay? I don't know why that happens. Uh, we don't do that today. I don't know if they just had a, felt like they had to leave a legacy. Like, I need to have, leave a good legacy, so I'm going to pay people off to come cry. But the more people you had at your funeral to cry for you, the wealthier you were. You, so that's what happened. So these paid mourners, they're there, they're paid to cry. Some people will be better at that than others. We're paid there to cry. They follow Mary out to meet her, or to meet Jesus. And Mary says what her sister Martha says. I mean, poor Jesus, these women are attacking him. She says, well, if you had been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. So in this moment, we have Mary crying. We have multiple Jewish people who are paid to be crying and mourning. And Jesus is surrounded by this wailing grief. This grief. When I was a youth pastor, I think I've told this story. When I was a youth pastor, we had a lady in our church whose grandson was in a terrible car wreck on his way to the youth conference. And he was on life support for two or three weeks, just wasn't getting better. And they had to make the decision as a family to take him off life support. And I remember our pastor of the church I was the youth pastor at was not in the country. He was in India. So the administrative pastor, James Long, a mentor of mine, him and I went down to UAB Hospital in downtown Birmingham to be with a family after they took their son off life support. I'll never forget it. There he was, 16 years old, laying on the bed, getting ready to take him off life support. I remember the crying. I remember the questions. I remember the family in the waiting room, later the family in the room. Grief is real. Brokenness is real. Jesus is surrounded by this in this moment with grief and chaos. And it says that he was deeply moved and troubled in his spirit. And then later, down in verse 35, it says he weeps. And we have to ask ourselves the question, why is Jesus troubled? Why is he deeply moved in his spirit? Why does he weep? Because he knows in his mind, he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So part of me, when I read this, I'm like, Jesus, get on with this. Let's raise the guy from the dead and have a party, right? But no, he stops, he's grieved, he weeps, he's troubled. What's he, what's he troubled by? What's he upset with? Many commentators, D.A. Carson says that Jesus is moved at their grief. He's even angry with sin that brings about sickness and death in this broken world. So at this point, to a spiritual reality, that death is a result of sin, and Jesus is grieved by that spiritual state. Jesus is grieved at the brokenness. Jesus is grieved, and he's weeping over the state of the world that he's come to rescue. 
He's grieved by the sinfulness that results in the sickness that results in the death. And he's moved by that. And the Bible says that Jesus weeps. Faith family, don't think of Jesus as some emotionless human being. Don't think of Jesus as some emotionless deity that's come that God sent one of his kids to save us. Jesus is having some real life emotions here in this situation. Jesus is angry. He's grieving over the brokenness that these people find themselves, and he weeps. Many times we can find ourselves thinking of emotion as a sign of weakness. That crying and weeping is a sign of weakness, and that's not what Jesus shows here. Jesus is a carpenter, is a man's man. He's cleared the temple out. Here he's grieving. And Jesus is not this emotionless being. Just as we get angry and we grieve, Jesus identifies with it. And so if you're going through time of grieving, of brokenness, know know that Jesus knows exactly what that's like. Because one of the beauties of him as God coming to this earth, he came to identify with us as a human being. And Jesus himself has grieved. He's wept. And Jesus identifies with it. And now if you're here today and you're considering Christianity and you're considering believing in Jesus, this is the beauty of Christianity is that we don't believe in a God that is emotionless and distant We don't believe in a God that encourages us to empty ourselves of emotion. Oh no, not at all. We believe in a God, we worship a God that has emotion. The one we worship, Jesus, he's not out of touch. He's not emotionless. He's not stoic. No, here in John 11, we see God in the flesh is displaying some real-life emotion. Now let's keep going. Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, Jesus said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord... There's already a stench because he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe you sent me. After this, he said, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out bound hand and foot with linen strips and with his face face wrapped in a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unwrap him and let him go. So Jesus walks up to this tomb. It's basically nothing more than a cave 
with a big rock in front of it. And he tells some guys to take it out of the way. And Martha freaks out. Right? Now, we read about Martha in other places, like in Luke chapter 10. And when we read in the Gospels and in the Bible about Martha, she's always busy. She's always busy. She's in everyone's business. She's always telling people what to do. She would have been a great member of a church. I'm just kidding. She's always busy. She's always involved in everyone's business. She's working. She's always all here, there, and everywhere. And she's like, Martha tells Jesus, no, 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 do not open that tomb. Why? He stinks. He's been in there for four days. Now, does anyone else have a King James Version of the Bible in front of you? Anyone have one today? Come on, tell me if you do. Creole, okay, that's not King James, but does anyone have a King James Version of the Bible? No one does, okay. Here's what the King James Version says. It says that Martha says, he stinketh. I don't know why the King James says that, but don't you love the KJV? So next time you're around someone who stinks, or you're like me and have have to change a dirty diaper, um, I said that this morning, Seth, you stinketh. (laughs) Martha is like, Jesus, no, don't take the rock out from the tomb. He stinks. He's been dead for four days. Now, they didn't have the, um, the, 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 the chemicals and everything to preserve a body for a while. No, like when you were dead, you were dead and you started decomposing. And she's like, he's, he's, she says, Lord, he stinks. He stinketh. And Jesus says, I told you that if you believe, you see the glory and majesty of God. So what do they do? They move the stone, and Jesus prays, and then he commands with a loud voice for Lazarus to come out. And what happens? Lo and behold, this dead man, or former dead man, he's not dead now, he comes out, he's bound up with linen strips of cloth, and Jesus tells the people to unwrap him. Wow. What drama What a sign. What a miracle. So Jesus is no longer turning water into wine like he did in John 2. He's no longer feeding over 5,000 people with loaves and fishes. He's not walking on the water or healing the sick. No, what's he doing now? He's raising the dead. Faith family, if there is not a larger sign in all of John that Jesus is God, he's not just turning water into wine anymore. He's raising dead people. That is a sign he is God. And you sit here and you say, Adam, what does this have to do with us today? What does this narrative, this story have to do with us today? Well, go back up to verse 25. And this very real and raw moment with Jesus and Martha, Jesus tells, says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? So what Jesus is doing by physically raising Lazarus from the dead, he is showing for all the world to see. He said, I have come not to bring physical resurrection, but spiritual resurrection. So what Jesus has done for Lazarus here, he provides for every human being spiritual resurrection. 
And each one of us here this morning, we are in need of the same thing. What do we need? Resurrection. We need regeneration. We need new life. Why? Because we're dead. We are sinful. We are broken. And we need to be regenerated. We need to be resurrected. We are dead spiritually, and we need the spiritual shock pads of Jesus on our hearts to shock us back into life. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul even talks about this. Ephesians 2 verse 1, Paul writes, and he says, And you, that's you and me, He says, verse 1 of chapter 2, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath as the others were also. So what's Paul saying? We're dead. We've been dead for four days, and we stink. We need to be resurrected. We're in the tomb spiritually, wrapped up in linen cloths. We are dead. But what does Jesus do? Verse 4. But God. Now there's no better, richer, more glorious two words in all the Bible than but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, what did he do? Verse 5, made us alive. Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses, You are saved by grace. So we have this bad news. We are dead. We stink. We're decomposing. We are sinful. We are broken. But through Jesus, He makes us alive. We can be spiritually resurrected. Jesus is making things new. Finally, turn over to Revelation chapter 21. If you don't know where that's it, that is, it's the very end of your Bible. Look at Revelation chapter 5. John, the writer of the Gospel of John, writes about a vision that he sees of the end of the world. And he says, he writes in Revelation 21 that he's seen a new creation, a new heaven, a new earth. And then in verse 5, look at it with me. He says, then the one seated on the throne. Now, who do you think that is? Sunday school answer. Who do you think that is? It's Jesus. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. So we are in this world, you and I are in the same boat, and we are 
dead. We are spiritually dead and we need to be resurrected. We need to be, we need life. And who is, brings that life? Jesus tells Martha, you're in need of resurrection. You're in need of life. And it's standing right in front of you. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Anyone who believes me will not die. So go back over to John 11. Jesus says, I am the resurrection, I am the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the bottom line here. So we're in need of this resurrection, we're in need of this life, and the only way to get it is by believing in Jesus. So if you are here this morning and you look at your life and you see it for what it is, it's dead. It's lifeless. Believe Jesus to be resurrected and get a brand new spiritual start. You will be regenerated. You will be resurrected. You will be renewed. But isn't it true that sometimes as Christians, as followers of Jesus, that we have moments of deadness too? We have times of callousness. We have times where we feel dead spiritually and we need life. We desperately need life. And who is that life? Jesus says, I am that life. So if you are here this morning, you're feeling the deadness. You're feeling the coldness. You're feeling the callousness spiritually. Run to Jesus. Believe Jesus. See, Martha, she already believed Jesus. She wouldn't be calling him Lord if she didn't. But her belief need, needed to be strengthened. It needed to grow. Many of us here this morning, we sense that deadness. We sense that coldness. And we need life. You may be here this morning and you're spiritually dead. You sense it. You feel it. You feel like God is a million, away, a million miles away. You don't feel like God may even be real. And you need life. You need resurrection. And I don't want to sound overly simplistic this morning. But believe in Jesus. Because for one final time, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And the question that each of us must ask, do you believe this? Do you believe this?